Welcome to episode 95 of the Search with Canada podcast recorded on Friday the 22nd of January 2021. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today I'm going to be joined by Jason Barnard, founder and CEO of CaliCube, also known as the Brand Serper Guy. Jason is an expert in brand SERPs and knowledge panels and is going to talk to us today about the importance of controlling your brand search results and talk to us about knowledge panels, what they are, how we can get into them and why they're important. Before we start that interview, I want to tell you, I need to tell you, I have to tell you really about Sightbulb who are the wonderful sponsors of this podcast If you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know every week I have something lovely to say about Sightbulb, which does come from my heart because I am a customer of theirs. I've been for a long time. We use their software and it's super helpful. Normally I talk about kind of some of the features and today I just want to talk to you about actually a general use as a SEO freelancer or an agency, a thing that I use Sightbulb for, which is actually a sales tool. So anytime that I speak to a client, I am running Sitebulb and doing a quick SEO audit of all, or if it's big, just part of their website because it always throws back something very quickly for me to digest in their hint section. So literally today I spoke to a client and during the call we we were just doing the usual chat about SEO and I was running this crawl in the background and immediately I started seeing Sitebulb flagging up issues with their canonical tags were wrong and this immediately on the call then I could show them some of their key pages where the canonical tags were wrong and showing them that Google was therefore ignoring these pages, it was paying attention to those canonicals and it was one of the reasons they didn't have the visibility they wanted. So Sightbulb, if you haven't still somehow heard of it, is a desktop Windows Mac based uh, SEO audit piece of software. They've got a great deal with us, which is that you can get a free trial for 60 days, no credit card required, sitebulb.com forward slash SWC. Very important you put in the forward slash SWC because that's what gets you your 60 day free trial. Go and give it a try. And today we are joined by Jason Barnard, who is founder and CEO of CaliCube, self-pronounced the brand SERP guy who specializes in brand SERPs and knowledge panels. He is a regular contributor to leading digital marketing publications such as Search Engine Journal and Search Engine Land and regularly guests on others such as Wordlift, SE Ranking, SEM Rush, Search Engine Watch, Search Metrics and Trustpilot. He also speaks at major marketing conferences worldwide including Brighton SEO, PubCon, SMX Series, ITB Berlin and Yoastcom. And he's got over two decades of experience in digital marketing starting in the year Google was incorporated with a site for kids that he built up to become one of the 10 thousand most visited sites in the world how is that for an introduction jason that was pretty good actually i'm beginning to think i actually know what i'm talking about (laughs) so i mean let's dive straight in tell me about this site that so that's quite an accolade saying you know you've built a site that became one of the ten thousand most visited sites in the world ten thousand sounds like a big number but the web 
is incredibly big. So that's quite an achievement. So what's that all about? Well, it, uh, it was less big in 2007, which is when that figure was from. But I mean, even so, um, for, for any uh, kids site to be in the top 10,000, it means we're competing with the, the, the CBs, is that what it's called? The BBC Kids yeah. programs, PBS yeah. in America. We were competing with Disney. Uh, it was nuts. And we were a little company, uh, 10 employees in Mauritius, uh, just off the coast of Madagascar, uh, building this mad site for kids. And it was such a lot of fun. Um, and it actually started because I was a musician, or I am a musician. And the, the band I was in, I was a professional punk folk musician playing the double bass. The band split up, and my wife and I created these characters uh, first off, as, as a music project where I wrote song, songs for kids, I ended up writing 96 songs for kids over seven or eight years. And we set up the site because we couldn't get the record released. And the site, I built it in Flash. I bought a copy of Flash. Uh, at the time, it was Macromedia, Flash 3 in 1998. Um, and built the site uh, learning Flash and we created these characters, Buwa, a blue dog, and Koala, a yellow koala. Um, and over the 10 years from 1998 to 2008, it built up steadily. Uh, it was great quality content. We had a, a, an amazing set of animators in Mauritius. My wife's a, a brilliant um, illustrator. Uh, we did, I think we did some great content for kids. And uh, by 2007, 2007 was the, the key year when we hit the peak. After that, uh, the, the company fell apart and I'm no longer doing it. It still exists, but nobody ever visits it. Um, uh, my business partner took it over and he just threw it in the bin as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> he's rubbish. Um, <laughs> Let's not get it. This explains to me, though, why when, uh, when I Google the name and I get your knowledge panel, why it says British French musician, maybe. Yeah, well, my history in, in, in music is much, much stronger and much deeper than my history in digital marketing. Um, and that, that's the thing about your kind of Google is it understands what it can find on the web. And typically music, films, uh, all the entertainment stuff has typically been very well documented in databases such as IMDb, uh, Wikipedia mm -hmm. would tend to have a lot of this stuff on it. Um, music brains, discogs, all of these databases of structured data that Google can digest uh, have traditionally been created by fans and therefore been very well documented over the years, which makes them much easier for Google to grasp. And one of the challenges, I mean, here, here we're going to talk about a big philosophical challenge as businesses we have is to start documenting businesses and the world that we're living in, the real world where we're not famous we need to document that so Google can understand it. So the reason that Google's understanding is very much biased towards this musical aspect of my career is simply that it hasn't found enough documented information about my current career yet. So I think we're already kind of touching on things here I want to get into. But before we kind of dive into stuff about brand SERPs and, and knowledge panels, you know, this is how you're kind of specializing, right? So you're, you're self-describing as someone that specializes in brand SERPs and knowledge panels. This is what you're good at. And some of the other guests I've had on, we've talked about how uh, as SEO has evolved over the years, you know, it used to be 15, 16 years ago when I started in SEO, you know, you were just an SEO and you did everything. And now, you know, when we look at the, even things like job 
titles for agencies. You've got specialists that work in technical SEO. I've certainly seen lots of people who specialize now in local SEO. Mm -hmm. And then, so you've picked this niche for yourself around brand and knowledge panels. So do you want to explain why have you chosen that as something to specialize in? Right. Well, before I start, it's a niche that isn't a niche. It's a universal niche, which is kind of unique. I, in, within our industry, it's niche, but it's universal. Everybody, every brand and every person in the world needs this. So, you know, I've got a big market open to me, potentially. Um, I can't remember what the question was, no? So the question, yeah, is why, why did you choose brand Brilliant. and knowledge panels to, to at least specialise in then? If we won't call it a niche, why, why that slice of SEO? <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't trying to correct you, although I did. Uh, in fact, it's the blue dog, interestingly enough. Um, the, the blue dog, basically what happened is by 2007, the, the blue dog and the yellow koala were very famous online. And we had a TV series produced by ITV International aired in 25 countries. I'm terribly impressed with how all that panned out. But I was still a blue dog. And Google recognized me as this blue dog. And when the uh, company, when I left the company, um, I moved back to France and I was trying to get work. And the easiest work I could get was as an SEO, as you say, you know, pure SEO. Um, and I would go into these meetings and I would talk to my clients and I'd say, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. And this is going to be great. Look at this. And we can improve the technical stuff here and the content. And they go, right, yes, we're going to start next week. And then they would email me and say, oh, actually, we've changed our mind. Literally 50% of the time. And it turned out, I've, I learned after a while, I, I, the clients who did sign on said, the first thing we did when you left the room was Google your name. And the blue dog appeared. And some <laughs> clients saw that as being that I wasn't credible as, a, as a, an, an SEO or a digital marketer. And others just thought it was fun. And the fun ones are the one I, ones I got. So I got good clients that I enjoyed working with. But it occurred to me that... Um, my business card that I was giving them in the meeting was fine, but the real business card was when they looked me up on Google after I left the room. Um, and that's true for brands and it's true for people. And I just sat down and thought, right, I'm going to sort this out. I'm going to make it show how much of an expert I am, or I think I am. Um, and honestly, I thought this will take me two months. And in two months, it already looked better and I was already converting better. I wasn't losing quite so many clients. Um, and then I realized it was actually much deeper and more interesting and more in, in, intricate than I had initially thought. And literally, and I, I talked to Craig Campbell uh, about it, and he said, oh, yeah, that takes five minutes. I could, I could do that in an hour or whatever. Uh, he, I'm exaggerating. But, um, and I said, I think you're underestimating it. And he came back to me uh, a few weeks ago and said, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really complex. Well, it's complicated. It's not complicated. It's it, it's actually very simple as a process, but it's very long, very involved, and requires a very wide skill set, uh, and is surprisingly important and surprisingly interesting. And I'm, I'm I've been doing it for seven years, and I still discover something new every day from looking at brand SERPs. I've got a database of seventy thousand brands uh, tracked over time with ten million brand SERPs. You were talking earlier on that. Um, also, Aster's got gazillions of Google requests a month. Uh, so do I. Um, <laughs> I'm filling up this database of brand search. I'm only filling it up with brand search. What appears when your audience searches your brand name? And, and what, are you, what are you learning? What are you learning from that database? 
Well, I mean, to, to bring those two topics together, people also ask on brand SERPs is incredibly common. 35% of brand SERPs have got people also ask. And I think it was 9%, there's an article in Search Engine Land, 9% of brands have actually got control of any of it. It's not even all three questions or four questions, depending on the brand SERP. Only 10%, 9 or 10% have got any questions answered by themselves. And who is answering the question? It's all these forums, the platforms, and the competitors. So that's like rubbish point number one for most brands. Uh, and now they've moved into the knowledge panel, which we can talk about later, which is even worse. Uh, so brands are not answering the questions around their own brand even. And the brand SERP is a very good way to, 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 to visualize for brands and for me to show brands you're not answering your users' questions because those questions are the questions that Google feels are most relevant and valuable for that brand. And if you're not even answering those, you're not doing a very good job. So that, that's a bit of advertising for also asked. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've noticed um, with people also asked and brand results, it's interesting actually some of the questions that Google picks. So I've seen a lot of things that I would construe as negative around, you know, a mm. brand's Google, then it might be the, the question that comes up is, you know, is this company legitimate? And as a user, if I don't know that brand, that already sows the seeds of doubt about mm. it. So I guess my question to you before, we, you know, we're, we're diving straight in here with it. This is great. This is fine. Is, you know, how would you go about answering that as a brand then? If someone's sort of saying like, well, is, is this company legit? Because that's quite a difficult question, isn't it, for you to answer as a brand? Sure, no, 100%. Um, I, for me, there are, are three different types of questions in those brand people also ask. First is questions that you can answer directly. What's the price? Um, who's the CEO, for example? Those, those are things typically you can easily get with your own site because you're an authority about yourself. So that's obvious. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have them, it just means you haven't answered the question on your site in a way that Google has managed to digest it. You know, you haven't packaged the answer if you've given it or you just haven't answered it. The second are those, for, for me, that question, is it legit, is, is on the cusp. You could potentially answer it, but potentially you're not the best person to answer it. Mm -hmm. Google um, doesn't always get that one right. And there isn't any reason why you can't answer that specific question or one of those cusp questions. You just need to tread very carefully. Um, you are an authority on yourself. And you, I mean, for that question, I would write a, a Q&A Q or an FAQ saying, is it legit? Here's where we come from. We are legit. And here's the proof. Here's the reviews. Here's our customer and so on and so forth. Um, so I would argue that a lot of the time you can still get those, even though it doesn't seem you can. Um, and the third type are the generic questions. If you search for something like uh, SE ranking around that, it will ask questions like, how do I track a keyword? Or what is domain authority? <clears throat> Excuse me. At which point, uh, for example, there you might have Moz who would rank. There's no reason you can't answer that question about your industry better than Moz, sure. better than uh, somebody else, another competitor. So, I mean, that, that would typically be a case of a competitor being there. Um, and that would then, for me, imply that you need long-form content because you're answering a deeper question about your industry. And the interesting thing from a brand SERP point of view and a knowledge panel, which we'll come to later, is once Google starts putting those questions on your brand SERP, it means it's understood who you are and what you do. And once it starts putting relevant questions about your industry 
it's nailed your industry. And there we're looking into the topic layer, which Gary Erst was talking about at the end of last year. And the topic layer is what topics are you specialized in? And Google is now starting to understand that. And if you think about it as a brand, that's fundamental to everything you're doing in, in, in SEO and digital marketing for that matter, that these machines, and it's not just Google, it's Facebook, it's Apple, it's Amazon, uh, it's Bing, Microsoft, is that they understand who you are, what you do, and who your audience is. That's the little triplet. If they've understood that, they can potentially offer you up as a solution to their users, which is what they're all aiming to do. And if they don't understand who you are, what you do, who your audience is, how can they possibly do that? And that last one, who your audience is, is really interesting from Google Discover, which is Google now pushing content to people through Google Discover, is if they've understood who your audience is, then they can push your content to the audience. If they don't understand who your audience is, they can't possibly, you can't be part of Discover, full stop. So you've got, um, for me, th those elements are fundamental and, and the, the questions that you're seeing on your brand sub, but in fact, the brand sub as a whole should always reflect, reflect sorry, who you are, what you do, who your audience is, where to find you, and it must be accurate, positive, and convincing. And it's really simple. So really then, if, if we're getting these people also ask questions that are appearing when we do a brand search and they're relevant to our industry, that, that's a really good sign, basically, that, that the machines have started to understand yeah. that we are a brand, we are involved in in this industry yeah just, just sorry before that leads you to the next part is, is those people also ask me and i don't think everybody in the industry agrees with me but i've started to identify what i'm calling entity elements i call everything that isn't a blue link on the SERP a rich element it's such a generic term that it can include anything that isn't a blue link um, and i'm like everybody else, incredibly interested in how we can dominate, how we can get presence on the SERP through these non-blue link rich elements. Um, and you can divide them into multiple categories, different types. Some of them are answers. Uh, some of them are entity-based. And this is, this is where I think I'm sticking my neck out, is a knowledge panel on the right-hand side is entity-based. Um, people also ask, is entity-based? It needs to understand the topic and the entity in order to be able to present them. So I would argue, as soon as you see people also ask, you're entering into Google's understanding of the world, which is entity-based search. Um, and maybe that's a point at which you can start thinking about that SERP and what you're actually looking at a little bit more differently. That was rubbish English, wasn't it? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I think brand has always been kind of the, the gold standard of marketing, you know, before SEO existed. So, you know, to, to translate that into SEO terms, I would prefer, for instance, if someone was after an SEO agency, rather than Googling SEO agency, it would be great for me if they just typed Canda into Google because they wanted, you know, they wanted our SEO agency. And that's what we've known for. And all of our marketing strategies should always contribute towards putting, you know, putting um, equity into this brand pot and and getting people to kind of Google that and understand that that's what we do. So I'm interested, and you, you have touched on this, about how it's changed over time, specifically with SEO and specifically with Google, because you've touched on entities. That's something we've talked about on the podcast before, which is, you know, entities are kind of like things and Google wants to understand things and their relationships rather than just understanding search strings. So how do you see now um, 
the importance of entities and how is that related to knowledge panels? Because you said they, they were connected. Right, yeah. I mean, there was about 15 questions in one there. Um, there was. I mean, the whole, the whole thing about brand, if we come back a step, uh, uh, John Mueller started talking about pull queries. And when he says pull queries, he actually means brand queries. Uh, and he, he sent me a message uh, saying, basically, you know, brand, brand SERPs are going to be important. This is something big because Google are now explicitly saying you actually want to encourage those pull queries. You want to encourage people to search for your brand name. And once you say that, um, obviously, the brand SERP becomes phenomenally important. Um, and the, the, the other thing is we used to be obsessed by domain names and inbound links to domains and domain authority and all those kind of measurements that we managed to invent as a, an industry that don't really mean very much. Um, it, it's now about brand. If Google's understood your brand, your website is simply a representation of your brand and the domain name is a representation of the website or it's the place you can find the website. So brand is way, way, way above your website or your domain name in terms of how important it is to your business. Uh, I mean, theoretically, you could switch from one domain to another if Google's fully understood your brand and you do, you do a good job of the migration without missing a beat. Because the domain name, although obviously it still is important, I wouldn't advise anyone to do it, that would be terrible advice. But theoretically, we're, we're moving towards a world where Google will understand the brand sufficiently well that the actual URL, the domain name that you're using becomes very, 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 very secondary. Um, so brand is what you need to be building and understanding of that brand is obviously fundamental. I mean, if Google has to, under, if Google has to choose between, sorry, sending its user to a domain that has boatloads of inbound links and sending its user to a brand that it understands, it knows is credible, and knows can deliver the solutions to its users, it's going to choose the second. That idea of counting links and strings of characters is outdated. And even if it's still part of the algorithm, it's definitely not something Google is relying on as much as it used to, and is definitely relying on less and less. It's going more for the understanding who you are, what you do, and who your audience is, and what you can offer its users. That, I think that's definitely a contentious point within SEO about the how important links are and have been and mm. will be. And, but one thing I just then want to get your view on is assuming, you know, I'm, I'm a website and I've done everything I can um, on my site to show that I'm a legitimate brand that answers questions, da, 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 da. What do you think then? Because Google must be using external signals because you can't trust the salesman, you know, mm. about their own, their own product, their own brand. So Aside from links, what do you see as the external signals that Google used to verify the authenticity and you know trust of that brand? Is it things like if there's a co-occurrence between people searching for you know product services types and what Google understands yeah. as a brand entity? What kind of things is involved there? Yeah, well, I, I mean that that last one is a great example of kind of what people are searching for in what groups, topic clusters, uh, authoritas. Lawrence O'Toole is a big fan of those from Authoritas. Uh, the idea of topic clusters is incredibly interesting. What are people searching for within the context of your brand? Uh, incredibly important. But the idea of links, linkless links, i.e. mentions, is something that, I mean, it isn't that old. It's a few years old. 
but phenomenally important already. I mean, links are important. I would never say they're not important, but they're just one of many signals. Uh, they used to be the only one. Fine. It's not the case anymore. It, it, by definition, that means that they have been diluted in importance. Full stop. I mean, there isn't a debate about that. The question is, how much have they been diluted and how much will they be diluted in the future? Now, my experiments, I've got 500 ongoing experiments on knowledge panels. So we'll move into the knowledge panel world because that's really where I'm specializing. I think this demonstrates where links are and maybe aren't as important as we think. With WordLift, I'm building an entity-based content model. And it, it, it's an, uh, a semantic AI, uh, sorry, a semantic SEO tool using AI that generates schema markup for WordPress sites, basically. Um, and I'm partnered with them to build this entity-based content model around my podcast and, interestingly enough, around the blue dog and the yellow koala. Okay. Uh, and that's given me 500 ongoing experiments where basically what I'm trying to do is with the blue dog and yellow koala, the blue dog has a father and a mother and a sister, and the yellow koala has a mother, a father, grandmother, and a grandfather. And so far, what we've managed to do is build that family tree in Google's brain. And if you search for, this is great, if you search for Daddy Koala on Google, you will see a knowledge panel. The knowledge panel did not exist six months ago. That knowledge panel says, Daddy Koala is a fun yellow koala who likes gardening. Reference site is jasonbarnard.com, which is my site, which is where the experiment is going on. Significant other, Mummy Koala. Google knows that it, Daddy Koala is married to Mummy Koala. Same thing with Grandma Koala and Grandpa Koala. And it's almost understood that Koala is their child. I, it's, it's understood, it just isn't showing it on the knowledge panel. And it's understanding who voiced Koala. And that's my wife, Ronique. Uh, whereas before it thought that I did it, it said if you typed in who voiced Koala or who did the voice for Koala, it, would, it used to say Jason Barnard. And I have educated Google, so it now understood, understands that it's a Veronique Barnard. So the credit where credit's due, I didn't do that voice. I did the voice of the blue dog. Um, all of that to say, you were saying you can't trust the salesman. Well, I have based all of this on my site. I am the most trusted source about Jason Barnard. Jason Barnard created Buwan Kuala. The Buwan Kuala family were, by extension, created also by Jason Barnard. Google did not believe me to start with. I didn't build links to get that understanding and to rank my site for the term Daddy Koala. I went out and I got corroborative evidence and pointed to it from my site. So if you want Google to understand who you are and what you do, you need to explicitly state it on your own site. You're your own salesman. Obviously, Google doesn't believe you're on your own good word. But... If you then take that and signpost all the corroborative information that is out there, Google will end up believing you. You will have educated it. You will have convinced it. And it will be confident it has understood. And at that point, and this is really interesting, you can then feed Google information without corroborative information because you are trusted. And the example of that, and this is really silly. I mean, it, it does get even sillier. Because another model, another, sorry, experiment I'm running is on the punk folk group. We did a version of the Ace of Spades, the Motorhead song. And I built a page on my website that says, uh, did Jason Barnard play the double bass on the Ace of Spades? 
And the answer is, in a manner of speaking, yes, because we did a version of the Ace of Spades and I played double bass on it. And I managed to get a feature snippet where if you type who played double bass on the Ace of Spades, it says Jason Barnard, which is great. I mean, that's me messing with Google's brain, basically. Um, and what's now happened, and I think I might have gone too far, is if you type who played bass on the Ace of Spades, it says Jason Barnard, and Lemmy no longer gets a look in. And this is really illustrative of how much you can inform Google and build its understanding and build its trust in what you tell it as the original source. And for me, I mean, this all comes from brand steps. I said, you know, I'm learning new things every day. I only learned that particular last piece of information a few days ago, just looking around, uh, messing around and, and thinking about this kind of thing. Um, and that's where we're going. Right now, it's so hard to sell to your clients. It's so hard to sell to your boss because there's no immediate payback. But if you're not doing it now and you start doing it in two years' time when there is an immediate payback, it's going to be too late. The, uh, the featured snippets thing is interesting. So I've, I've, always, no I've always noticed the uh, Google sometimes is very easily convinced with feature snippets yes. and the 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 kind of fact checking if you like well or lack of so they i did an article a couple of years ago covering um how many arms and legs different animals had mm -hmm. on google and it, it pretty much got all of them wrong saying rabbits had 200 legs whales had four legs snakes had eight legs um and i did it like you i messed around with google so if you type how many arms does mark williams cook have it gives a big featured number of 512 arms just to show you can kind of push any information into that. The knowledge panel is, is I think, a lot kind of more different and it's harder to get into. And I, I just wanted you to explain to businesses now, um, just give a little bit of background about kind of what the knowledge panel is, how it differs from kind of the SERP features, if you like, and why why that's, if you think it's important for the kind of, for businesses, yeah. SEO future-wise. Just to come back a step, I mean, that thing with the feature snippet, yes, you can mess with the feature snippet, but the feature snippet, is the step before the knowledge panel. Uh, okay. Who voiced Koala? There is now a, a, a question in the knowledge panel which says, please confirm who voiced Koala, asking human beings to confirm what it thinks it's understood. So I'm not saying it's it's the step before, but it's part of that process. And So those systems are linked some somewhere, it looks like, that if Google, it's showing some level of understanding or it, it that because I feel I feel I feel mm. I'm not necessarily saying I, I say I feel when Google's not quite sure about something but it thinks it's got a good stab at it that's when we see featured snippets when it's more confirmed then I see it in knowledge because I rarely see I rarely see things that are completely wrong in knowledge panel but I do see things that are completely wrong. hundred percent. Knowledge panels are fact basically what Google considers fact. Feature snippet is best recommended answer or best answer we found today, um, which isn't the same thing at all. Knowledge panels are, uh, Google's really sticking its neck out. That right rail, everything on the right-hand side on desktop is Google sticking its neck out saying this is fact. And once you're in there, that, that means Google's really seriously confident. But I talked to Ali Alvi from Bing about the feature snippet that they call the uh, Q&A. Um, basically, what he was saying, uh, he, he runs the algorithm. Uh, they summarize pages, and the algorithm that runs the feature snippet is the same one or is, is fed off the same basic algorithm as the one that writes the descriptions under the blue links. 
Okay. The blue link algorithm is one thing. Once it's ranked the blue links, it then gets the description from what is the equivalent of the feature snippet algorithm. The feature snippet algorithm, or the feature snippet is fed by that same summary algorithm, which is why Martin Split said, always write a meta description, because that allows us to check that our summary of your page is the same as your summary of the page. Uh, so that's Ali Alvi from Bing who's dealing with that. The description in the knowledge panel probably comes from the same source. And all, pretty much any summary of any text is going to be coming from this same algorithm, which, as you say, is not fact. But it's the way the, when, when the knowledge graph starts to kind of think, have I understood? It's using these summaries. So it's using the summaries to base its information. So if you convince the summary machine, as it were, to start showing things, then you're on, on the road to convincing the knowledge graph, the true understanding of Google. So it's on the path to rather than being, I would say the step before or a few steps before, you're on the way. And just on one more thing about the feature snippet algorithm, which I found astonishing from Ali Alvi, and it's really obvious when he says it. It feeds into all their other products. When you get a summary in a Word doc or an online uh, Microsoft doc, it's the same algorithm doing it. And it's going to be the same at Google. They don't build different algorithms for all their different chunks of their, their product. So all of this is feeding from the same algorithm. So once you've understood which different algorithms you're looking at, you're actually able then to optimize for all the products within any given brand's ecosystem, Bing and Microsoft, uh, Bing and, uh, sorry, Microsoft and Google, excuse me. I'm getting overexcited. Uh, Microsoft and Google being the biggies. And, and once you get your brain around that, you're looking at, for example, the, the knowledge panel. The knowledge panel contains facts. Uh, for example, if you look up IBM, it will tell you who the CEO was. That's a fact. But the description it's using is more of a featured snippet best description we can find today because it changes over time unless it's Wikipedia and in the knowledge graph, which is another case. But uh, sorry, I'm getting a bit over-involved here. Um, that knowledge panel, when you trigger it for your brand, and I'd like to be very clear, knowledge panel, Google My Business is not a knowledge panel. Google My Business is a business listing where you give Google the information and it shows it on your own good word, basically. As you said, you know, you don't believe the salesman. For Google My Business, it does, because it's a business listing like Google, like Yellow Pages or something. A knowledge panel is something different. A knowledge panel is a machine that has understood you, who you are and what you do, independently of you giving it the information. You can, of course, as I said earlier on, feed it the information through your site, but the machine decides if it's true or not. And that's up to you to indicate to the machine where it can find the corroboration for what you're saying. Uh, and a really interesting example is I had a client and she's a, an Australian author. And it was getting her confused with another author who was from New Zealand with exactly the same name. And so it was listing her social accounts, her photo, but the wrong books. And she, when you, when you get a knowledge panel, you can claim it. And when you claim it, you can then ask employees of Google to change things in the knowledge panel. Uh, you can't change everything. Some things you can change. You can ask them to add social accounts, and they can do that. Um, you can't ask them to change your subtitle, for example. They can't do that. They can't change your name because that's the machine. That's the basis of the understanding. She got it to got them, sorry, to change the books, and then after a week, it switched back. 
what had happened is she managed to convince them or the human beings could change the list of books that were associated with her. But the machine came back, went around the web and said, actually, no, you guys are wrong and just switched it back. The machine has ultimate control. But the machine was wrong in that case. The machine was wrong. And in fact, why she came to me was to say, why did it switch back? What can we do? Uh, the answer was find the source of the confusion. Find where the machine is finding that information. And it, it's going to be on a reliable source. And it turned out to be her publisher. All right. <laughs> and you correct it on that source. And the machine will then understand and stick with what the truth is. Uh, I had another client who came to me and said, uh, I'm listed as a university teacher, a university lecturer. I would rather be listed as an author. How do I do that? I've asked the Google employees and they say they can't change it. He's right, they can't. They can't change your subtitle. Name of person, Jason Barnard, French-British musician. I can't change that. They, they can't change that. I have to convince Google. I have to demonstrate to Google that I'm a digital marketer. I Actually, six months ago, it said I was an author. Um, and then it switched back to musician because the that's the problem. The weight of information about me is still very much music-based. And I'm currently working on creating the weight of information to change the machine's mind. Uh, come back and ask me in six months, did I manage it? And I, <laughs> I, I hope so. But this particular client, we, we managed to get it switched. It took us five months. But he switched from being university lecturer to author. Um, and what I find interesting about that in particular is we have a tendency to think that we can't control or uh, influence very heavily what appears in that knowledge panel or what Google understands about us. And the answer is we can actually control or influence very heavily to the point of semi-control if we go about it, right? That's what CaliCube is all about. I've built the CaliCube platform basically to, I mean, it's a tedious process. And the, the, from my point of view, I'm getting so bored of this work because it is very tedious. And the other thing is I have to care about the entity I'm working on. That isn't always the case with my clients, I'm afraid. Uh, I don't care about them in, a, in an existential, philosophical, emotional manner. Um, and so the idea of CaliCube is to say we, we crawl Google, we figure out what are the most important sources of information about you yourself or your brand so we've got a system by industry what what's important in your industry what does google take as being a reliable source in your industry in your geo region and then we also manage to dig down and find for each individual entity brand or person um, and that's what actually what i'm working on i'm working with uh, yoast uh, on, on their brand serps and knowledge panels and and part of this process is building it around that um, Yoast have, have now jumped on board and, and are saying, yes, Jason's right. This is phenomenally important. And, and you know, I'm, I'm boasting because boast, I'm boast, it's a boast with Yoast. Um, <laughs> oh, but it, it's really, really, I mean, sorry, I mean, emotionally speaking, it's, it's so lovely when somebody I respect so much jumps on board and says, yeah, actually, now you mention it, Jace. So do you see that knowledge panels are going to become more important than I would say just kind of generic or generic SERP. So the, the, I've always had this idea that 
in a few years time, it might seem quite antiquated that we used to search for things. And then we had to pick out what we thought was the most yeah. relevant result for that. A bit like how you used to go to the library and you'd look up a number of books and you have to crawl around on your hands and knees and try and find the, you know, the right book. Are we going to move to a search engine that's less about here's some things that I think are relevant to what you're saying to, okay, I understand what you're saying. Here's the answer yeah. or here's one of a couple of answers. Oh, definitely. I mean, I did the series a couple of years ago, uh, SEO is AEO, and I was saying answer engine optimization. And Dawn Anderson on the second show said, actually, it's assistive engine optimization. So my, my theory of answer engine optimization lasted about a week. Um, but she's right. It's assistive. It's answers and it's assistive. I mean, it's both. I mean, we're both right. Let's, let's be generous. Um, featured snippets are one step in that direction. Knowledge panels are another step in that direction. And Google Discover is a big step in that direction of saying, we're going to, and this is what uh, Sergey Brin and what's his face, the other guy at Google were saying right at the beginning, we want to be the Star Trek machine where we give you the answers you didn't even know you had the questions for or give you the solutions you didn't even know you had the problem. Um, and I, I love that idea. I don't love that idea particularly, but Google Discover is basically saying we're going to preempt your need and we're going to provide the solution before you even think about it. Um, and Google Discover is, is based on understanding, as we said right at the beginning. Um, if it's understood, for example, that I'm a digital marketer, and that I've written an article about the knowledge panel, and it knows that you, as a rule, are particularly looking around at knowledge panel information in general and looking into the SEO aspects of why that might be useful and perhaps even how to control it. I might not appear in the Google results that you're searching around, but I might suddenly appear on your Discover. If we're to wrap this up then for SEOs working maybe at small, medium-sized businesses or business owners, what would you say as a kind of 60 second point them in the right direction they should be thinking about or doing in terms of their brand SERPs? What can they actually start doing to, to improve, improve their situation? Uh, first thing, it divides every result on the first three, four pages into control, semi-control and no control. Uh, you want to control your brand SERP. Semi-control would be a site you don't directly control, but you, co you control a certain amount of content in it, for example, profile pages, or uh, social media accounts. Uh, control would be your own site, but also uh, don't forget, you know, subdomains can, can potentially appear there. Uh, the the uh, other, other side, I mean, Disney, I mean, obviously that's a very big company, but they've got an employment site, they've got a Disney Villages site, they've got a Disney shop site. Uh, Microsoft have got multiple products. I'm about to start an experiment with CaliCube to see if I can create a second domain and rank that and dominate more of my brand SERP for CaliCube. I'll let you know how that goes. Um, and then the ones that you can't control, which can be great, they can be very positive, but the danger when you don't control in any way, manner or form is that if it flips on you, if somebody suddenly, the reviews go out the window or the person who wrote the article about you suddenly hates you and writes the title that's really negative, you're in trouble. So I would go for control more than I would go for these third-party positive kind of review thingies going on. If somebody really wants a third-party review, they will search for it. So divide it into those and then deal with them one by one. The ones I control, I can just change it. The ones I semi-control, I can change a lot of it. 
The ones I don't control, I can leapfrog them with better content. Leapfrogging is basically pushing up, doing SEO for others, anything on page two, three that you think is great, do some SEO for them, build them some links. Coming back to that point, links do still work. Push it up onto your brand SERP. Google wants to put on your brand SERP what it sees as being relevant, will always put on your brand SERP, what it sees as being most relevant and valuable to your audience. And your role to control your brand SERP is to indicate, prove to Google that any given piece of content is more relevant, more valuable than the one that's already there. That's number one. The next one, and this isn't going to last much longer, and it's all pulling into the knowledge panel. If you have a knowledge panel, you obviously need to uh, start to think about influencing what's in it, improving it. If you don't have one, you need to trigger one. And you would be surprised. 45% of brands have a knowledge panel or a C results page. A C results about, C more results, excuse me, uh, on the, on the right-hand rail. So we're looking at almost 50% already understood. The other 50% shouldn't be very far behind. Um, and it's actually, if you've done, ever done local search, it's NAPS, name, address, phone number. It's making sure that all the information about your company around the web is consistent across all these platforms. You then create a home for your entity on your website, preferably an About Us page or an About Me page if you're a person. You then write a factual statement about who you are, what you do, who, you're, who your audience is, and you point to all the corroborative information on third-party, trusted third-party, independent sites. And Bob's your uncle. You get a knowledge panel, you get control, and it's your only hope of control of Google's understanding of you. If you don't have an entity home, a home for your entity rather, and you don't do this factual, I'm telling you this is who I am and what I do, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to educate you like I'm educating a child. You will never control what Google understands about you. If you don't control what Google understands about you, you're dead in the water five years down the line. Jason, thank you so much. I don't feel we've even scratched the surface no. here on your knowledge of knowledge panels and, and local, but it's really interesting because it's not an angle or something we've really talked about on the podcast before. So I really appreciate that. I'm I was going to say, um, where can people find out more about you? But I'm quite confident now, if you just Google um, Jason Barnard, you should be able to find everything you need about him. You'll find some links in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk to CaliCube and Jason's site as well. Um, Jason, if you'd be kind enough, maybe if you pop me an email with some of the uh, links to some of the people you've mentioned as well i'll include them in the show notes but thank you again really appreciate you joining us yeah thank you very much mike that was absolutely delightful there were some tricky questions in there excellent so if you are enjoying the podcast please do subscribe or share it with a friend we are going to be back on monday the 1st of february and i hope you'll have a brilliant week 